Bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratty. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, November 25th, 2014. I'll begin this week with a brief extenders update, followed by some news about key House subcommittee appointments for the new Congress. I'll also talk about a proposal from Senator Patty Murray and Representative Paul Ryan that could result in making federal data on federal tax expenditures more accessible to agencies and lawmakers. I'll also discuss several tax extender letters that were sent to Congress that were signed by thousands of industry stakeholders. In our local housing tax credit section, I'll discuss why we can expect to find out before the end of the year whether the National Housing Trust Fund and the Capital Magnet Fund will finally be funded. In this week's New Markets Tax Credit segment, I'll share some news about a new co-sponsor for legislation that would make the New Markets Tax Credit a permanent part of the tax code. And I have word of a newly appointed director of the CDFI Fund. Then, in our historic tax credit discussion, I'll talk about how expanded community reinvestment guidance could encourage greater investment in historic properties in underserved communities. I also have a state-level update from Texas that would allow more projects to qualify for the state historic tax credit. Finally, I'll wrap up today's podcast with our Renewable Energy Tax Credit section, where I'll share the outlook of two Iowa congressmen on the future of the production tax credit. And I'll also close with a new report on how more predictable renewable energy tax credit legislation could foster continued growth of the industry. If you're ready, let's get started. In extenders news, as the Senate and House continue negotiations on tax extenders, and the negotiations appear to revolve principally around which provisions to make permanent and which provisions to extend for two years, the Treasury Department has weighed in with a formal, albeit brief, statement from Treasury Secretary Liu. I'll read his statement in its entirety. Quote, There are reports today that Congress may be considering a potential deal on extenders that would do very little for working families and would be fiscally irresponsible. An extender package that makes permanent expiring business provisions without addressing tax credits for working families is the wrong approach at the expense of middle-class families. Any deal on tax extenders must ensure that the economic benefits are broadly shared. We are committed to working with Congress to address the issue in a manner that is fiscally responsible and extends critical tax benefits for working families. Close quote. We at Novograda continue to believe that tax extended legislation will pass in a lame duck session. However, the possible variants of the legislation appear to be increasing, not narrowing at this point. Follow me on Twitter for more current updates. To start off our general news section today, I'd like to announce some new committee appointments that will take effect when the 114th Congress convenes in January. House Appropriations Chairman Harold Rogers of Kentucky has named his subcommittee chairman, or Cardinals, for the next Congress. Andrew Crenshaw from Florida will head up the Financial Services Subcommittee, and Mario Diaz-Ballard from Florida will be the Transportation HUD Subcommittee Chairman. 
and the Republicans have also been appointed to key House committees. And the House Ways and Means Committee, the Tax Writing Committee in the House, will have Christy Nome from South Dakota, Pat Meehan from Pennsylvania, Jason Smith from Missouri, and George Holding from North Carolina added to the committee. The House Committee on Financial Services will have added Robert Dole from Illinois, Frank Genta from New Hampshire, French Hill from Arkansas, Mia Love from Utah, Bruce Poliquin from Maine, David Schweikert from Arizona, Scott Tipton from Colorado, and Roger Williams for Texas. And in the House Appropriations Committee, we'll have David Jolly from Florida, Scott Rigel from Virginia, Evan Jenkins from West Virginia, and David Young from Iowa. As always, follow me on Twitter for more updates. In other news from Washington, Congressional Budget Committee chairs Senator Patty Murray and Representative Paul Ryan have announced legislation that could result in more accessible data on tax credit programs. If passed, the bill would create a 15-member commission that would study how data can be used to evaluate the effectiveness of federal programs. One of the commission's main tasks would be to determine whether a clearinghouse of data on federal expenditures could help agencies determine the effectiveness of these programs and help lawmakers find ways to improve them. The idea is that a centralized clearinghouse containing data on different federal programs could make it easier for researchers to find relevant information. As I mentioned, the commission would be comprised of 15 members. Members would be appointed by the President, the Speaker of the House, the House Minority Leader, and the Senate Majority and Minority Leaders. Among his choices, the President must select the Director of the Office of Management and Budget or the Director's designee. Other appointees would include academic researchers or data experts and experts in database privacy matters. The President would select the Chair of the Commission and the House Speaker would select the Co-Chairs. If the bill passes, appointments of the Commission must be made within 45 days of the bill's enactment. Under the bill, after a majority of the members are appointed, the Commission would then have 15 months to submit a detailed report of its findings to the President and Congress. Now I should note, this bill will most likely not pass during the lame duck session, and it would then need to be reintroduced next year. And I also note that neither Senator Murray nor Representative Warren will be the Budget Committee chairs next year. Representative Tom Price will be the House Committee chairman, and either Senator Mike Enzi or Senator Jeff Sessions will be Senate Budget Committee chairman. The Murray-Ryan bill is called the Evidence-Based Policy Commission Act of 2014. You can find a copy of it by going to www.novaco.com slash hottopics and click on the tax expenditures link. In other news, thousands of tax credit proponents joined sign-on letters sent to Congress last week urging an extension of expired or expiring tax credits during the current lame duck session. Three major letters were sent, each with hundreds of signatures. A letter from the Affordable Rental Housing Action Campaign urged Congress to extend the 9% Long housing tax credit minimum rate for new construction and substantial rehab, and it also urged support of a 4% long housing tax credit minimum rate for acquisition of affordable housing for those developments funded through allocated credits. This letter was signed by more than 900 national, state, and local stakeholders. It called for the floor rates to be made permanent, although it said an extension for at least two years would strengthen the credit at virtually no cost to taxpayers. Meanwhile, 
more than 1,500 organizations, including businesses, nonprofits, and investors, signed a letter from the New Markets Tax Credit Coalition urging the extension of the New Markets Tax Credit. That letter argued that the economic activity spurred by the NMTC investments has generated enough revenue to cover the cost of the program. It also pointed out that 75% of New Market Tax Credit activity is in severely distressed communities. Then a third sign-on letter, with copies sent to both the Senate and the House, called on Congress to extend, enhance, or make permanent the 55 expired and expiring tax provisions. It said that failure to do so would act as a tax increase and would inject instability and uncertainty into the economy. These letters come at a time that the Senate and the House are actively considering tax extenders, as I mentioned earlier. And as listeners know, there is concern that if a package of tax extenders isn't approved before the Senate adjourns in December, it would complicate the tax filing season and delay tax refunds. And some Republican leaders have also expressed a desire to clear the table before they take control of the Senate in January. To review the letters, go to www.taxcredithousing.com or www.newmarketscredits.com. In local housing tax credit news, we may soon find out whether two much-needed sources of affordable housing financing will finally get funded. Nell Watt, director of the Federal Housing Finance Agency, or FHFA, said last week that he plans to announce by the end of this year his decision on whether he'll lift the suspension of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac contributions to the National Housing Trust Fund and the Capital Magnet Fund. Watt made the announcement during the U.S. Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs hearing that I mentioned in last week's podcast. As listeners know, the National Housing Trust Fund and Capital Magnet Fund were created by Congress in 2008 to build and preserve rental housing for extremely low and very low-income households. However, because of the Great Recession, the funds have never actually received any funding. They were originally intended to receive contributions from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, but when the government-sponsored entities were placed in conservatorship in 2008, contributions to the fund were suspended, suspended before any were ever made, and were suspended indefinitely. So, for nearly the past six years, affordable housing advocates have urged FHFA to lift the suspension. Funding the National Housing Trust Fund and the Capital Magnet Fund could provide significant support for the affordable housing and for community development. The initiatives would provide critical gap financing for low-income housing tax credit developments, among other things. Now, I should note that although much attention is focused on when Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac might be required to begin making contributions, it's also important to discuss how much they'll contribute. Larger contributions obviously mean expanded resources for affordable housing development, and smaller contributions would mean less funding. Stay tuned for more updates. In other low-income housing tax credit news, I'd like to discuss a report that highlights the importance of expanding the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development's Rental Assistance Demonstration, or RAD, program. The RAD program helps local housing agencies preserve public housing, and it does so by permitting them to convert public housing units to Section 8 rental assistance subsidies. This, in turn, enables them to more easily obtain private investment for innovations, according to the report. When the program was established in fiscal year 2012, it capped the number of units nationwide that could be converted at 60,000. Since then, HUD has placed applications from local agencies on a waiting list. They requested an additional 124,000 units be converted. 
Now, the report by the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, or CBPP, found that the RAD program will make substantial added resources available to reserve public housing for three main reasons. First, the new RAD subsidies are more likely than public housing subsidies to remain, maintain their value over time. The report found that public housing subsidies have often experienced sharp cuts and shortfalls. Total funding for the public housing capital and operating funds has lost 25% of its inflation-adjusted value since 2001. Since RAD allows agencies to borrow private funds more easily and on better terms is a second benefit. That's because the greater reliability of the RAD subsidies increases private lenders' confidence that the loans they make will be repaid. And then finally, or third, RAD makes it easier for housing agencies to use low-income housing tax credits. CBPP supports the Senate version of the 2015 appropriation bill that would expand the RAD program. The Senate version would raise the cap for the number of units that can be converted from 60,000 to 185,000. Meanwhile, the House-approved funding bill leaves the cap unchanged at 60,000. The report also says that Congress should also include a Senate provision that would provide $10 million to fund incremental RAD subsidies. This is above the amount of the public housing subsidies that the RAD development received before conversion. Finally, the report ends by saying that the RAD program offers a promising opportunity to generate new resources to help repair the nation's public housing stock and preserve needed affordable housing. Now, the report is titled, Expanding Rental Assistance Demonstration Would Help Low-Income Families, Seniors, and People with Disabilities. A copy is available at www.taskcredithousing.com. And if you have any questions about the program, please contact my partner, Susan Wilson, in our Austin, Texas office at 512-340-0420. In new market tax credit news, U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar last week became the eighth co-sponsor of a bill that would make the new market tax credit a permanent part of the tax code. Senator Klobuchar is the eighth co-sponsor of the New Markets Tax Credit Extension Act of 2013, which was introduced by Senator Jay Rockefeller of West Virginia, who, by the way, is retiring at the end of this year. Senator Klobuchar is a Democrat from Minnesota, so at the time of this recording, the bill now has four Republican co-sponsors and four Democrats co-sponsors. If the bill passes, and makes the new market tax credit permanent, it would give prospective investors more confidence to enter the market, which would mean more capital for distressed properties. Now, the bill would also set the CDFI fund's initial allocation authority at $3.5 billion, but it would retroactively index the tax credit for inflation back to the year 2000, putting the actual allocation authority closer to $4.8 billion. It would also provide for future indexing for inflation and allow the new market tax credit to be used to offset the alternative minimum tax. A copy of the New Market Tax Rate Extension Act of 2013, or Senate Bill 1133, can be found at www.newmarketscredits.com. And to learn more about the New Market Tax Credit and the New Market Tax Credit Working Group, please contact my partner Brad Elphick in our Atlanta office at 678-867-2333. In CDFI fund news, the U.S. Treasury Department today announced that Annie Donovan, will be the new director of the Community Development Financial Institutions Fund. Deputy Treasury Secretary Sarah Bloom Raskin said, and I quote, the CDFI Fund has supported small businesses, developed affordable housing, and created jobs in communities across the country for the past 20 years. With her expert understanding of the intersection of finance and community development, I look forward to Annie's leadership in enhancing economic development in communities that need it most, close quote.
As most listeners know, when Annie Donovan was Chief Operating Officer for NCB Capital Impact, she also served as President of the New Market Tasker Coalition. Annie has first-hand knowledge of the effectiveness of the New Market Tax Credit Coalition, and we at Nova Grattan Company welcome her to this new post. In historic tax credit news, a sign-on letter was sent earlier this month to federal bank regulators, urging them to expand and clarify the circumstances under which a federal historic tax credit investment qualifies for Committee Reinvestment Act, or CRA, credit. The letter was signed by 168 businesses, investors, nonprofit organizations, and community leaders. They asked that historic tax credit transactions be automatically eligible for CRA credit if there are investments in low- and moderate-income areas that are designated economic development districts and if they have support from the local redevelopment agency. The National Park Service reports that 84% of all historic tax credit transactions between 2001 and 2014 have been located in low- and moderate-income areas. By allowing historic tax credit transactions to qualify for CRA credit in these areas, the community benefits would be twofold. First, it would help preserve important structures that might otherwise fall into disrepair. And second, it would bring a much-needed infusion of private capital to underserved communities. The sign-on letter was written in response to an invitation for, for public comment on proposed revisions to the interagency questions and answers regarding community reinvestment notice that was posted by the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. You can read the letter at www.historictaxcredits.com. In other historic tax credit news, I have a state-level update from Texas. The Texas Historical Commission recently adopted amendments to clarify the type of entities that may apply for the state's historic tax credit. The amendments specify that nonprofit and governmental entities may apply for the credit as well as entities that are subject to the franchise tax. Based on standards of the Federal Historic Tax Credit Program, the amendments made to the Texas State Program regulations allow for separate ownership of the land and the structure on it and certain leaseholds. The amendments also change the definition of owner. An owner is now defined as a person, partnership, company, corporation, governmental body, or other entity holding a legal equitable interest in a property or structure, and this can include a full or partial ownership interest. By broadening the pool of owners who could qualify for the state of historic tax credit, the rule change encourages more developers to undertake historic rehabilitation projects. This ultimately means more opportunities for private investment and job creation across the state. These amendments became effective on November 20th, and you can find a copy of them at www.historictaxcredits.com. And for more information on how the Texas State Historic Tax Credit could benefit your project, please contact my partner, George Littlejohn, in our Austin office. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, two Iowa congressmen, both Republicans, say the chances are good that the Wind Production Tax Credit, PTC, will be revived during the current lame-duck session of Congress. Representatives Tom Latham and Steve King are two of Iowa's four members of the House of Representatives and the only Republicans. They told news network Radio Iowa that it's likely an extension of the Wind Energy Tax Credit will be included in the Tax Offenders Bill and that it is likely to pass. As listeners know, the Wind Production Tax Credit expired at the end of 2013. It's one of more than 50 temporary tax credits and other tax provisions that expired and are part of the tax extenders package being considered by the Senate. Latham said it would be difficult to pass a tax extenders package without the wind production tax credit. King said the prospect of what he called the peeling off of items 
from the tax offender's bill might be enough to deter any efforts to remove the win credit. He said that doing that would endanger the ability to get a tax extended package done before the session ends, something key Senate leaders want. Extension of the production tax credit could continue to drive wind facility installations across the country, especially for Latham and King's home state of Iowa, which ranks third in the nation for installed wind power capacity. It trails only Texas and California. To learn more about how renewable energy tax credits could help your project, Contact my partner, Stephen Tracy, in our San Francisco office at 415-356-8000. In related news, I'd like to discuss a report that highlights the importance of predictable tax credit legislation. Environmental Entrepreneurs, or E2, released a report recently showing an increase in clean energy and clean transportation jobs in the third quarter of 2014. While this is an uptick from the second quarter of 2014, the report said that future clean energy jobs is anything but certain. This is especially true in light of the leadership changes that will take place in Congress because of the November 4th elections. If Congress fails to extend or reinstate renewable energy tax credits, businesses will have less certainty when deciding whether to pursue more projects and hire more workers. The wind industry has seen firsthand what happens to growing industries when Congress prematurely removes or fails to renew incentives? After the production tax credit expired at the end of 2012, 32,000 industry jobs were lost the following year, this according to the report. Furthermore, developers had to rush to install solar projects ahead of the scheduled expiration of the 30% investment tax credit for solar power. Not only that, but by repeatedly allowing one-year extensions of the PTC to expire, Congress has created a boom-bust cycle that's hurting industry growth. E2 says that greater market stability can be achieved through long-term extension of the tax credits. The report is titled, Clean Energy Works for Us, Q3 2014 Jobs Report. You can find a copy of it on our Renewable Energy Resource page at www.energytaxcredits.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I'll have more industry news for you next week, including an update on a new co-sponsor for the Creating American Prosperity Through Preservation for CAP Act. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and I invite you to join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogradic and Company, LLP. Archive discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratic and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.